0: The book of Job, chapter 7, we're going to read verses 2 through 6. As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow. Basically, working in the heat of the day, you like a little shade from all that toil. And as a hireling looks for the reward of his work. None of us like to work, but we don't mind getting paid to work. At least the paycheck from the work. So am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? I am full of tossings to and fro until the dawning of the day. You ever feel like you have some of those nights? You're there to sleep, but the entire night just back and forth, tossing, no rest. During the time you wish you would find rest. In verse 5 he says my flesh. If this ain't bad enough. That I, I could use some shade. I could use some pay. I could use a good night's rest. My life feels like a vanity. And it's wearisome. On top of that. My flesh is clothed with worms. And clods of dust. And if that. Is not enough. If you've ever had this in the winter. When your fingertips begin to split. He says my skin is breaking open. But it's a little worse than just having a split finger in the winter. He says I'm at the point where you look at me. You smell me a mile away. I am loathsome. I am not a sight for sore eyes. I'm just sore on your eyes. Everything about me speaks negative. Speaks A dismal hope. There is none. And he ends here in verse six. There's more to be read, but we're going to stop here at verse six. He says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And all my days that I'm spending are spent without hope. I want to talk for the next couple moments without hope. But within reach. Without hope, but within reach. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for the witness of the Holy Ghost that is here today. Lord, I am persuaded and I am convinced that you are here for we worship in spirit and in truth. And, Lord, I am also confident, Lord, that you laid this on my heart. And I stand in this pulpit today, Lord, humbled by your presence, and I am willing to speak what you have put into my spirit. I pray I don't quench the spirit, but, God, that I would be a channel, a vessel, a conduit where there would be a free flow of the Holy Ghost into this place. And somebody saying, Jesus name. Amen. Without hope, but within reach. Hopelessness is the state of this man, Job, that we are reading. There is nothing going right for him. Not going to go through the entire scenario of Job, but basically really summarizing it is this. Job is a good man. The Bible says he's perfect. This guy is awesome. Awesome. And there is a scene unfolded in heaven where there is a time where uh, uh, Satan was permitted to be there in the presence of God and talk to him about things. And God asks him, what's going on? He says, well, I'm just kind of, you know, mosing around the earth, going back and forth. I'm just kind of frustrated, aggravated, bored. I'm I just I, I don't really want to talk about it. God says, have you considered my servant Job? And uh, he says, well, I'd like to knock him out. I don't like him at all because he embodies everything that reminds me of you, God. You're perfect and you got all this blessing, got all this goodness. And so God says, well, uh, you know, I'll let you consider him. But Satan says, you have this fence of protection around him. And God says, I'll let you into his property, but... You can't take away his life and Satan says, all right, he says, because if I if I start attacking his family and I start attacking his possessions, surely he's going to curse you, God. He's going to denounce you because he only serves you, God, because he's got stuff. As long as things are good, he's going to serve you. And so Satan attacks Job and he, he, he knocks out lots of his property, lots of his possessions and even kills Job's kids. It is a terrible situation. And then in all of this Job still doesn't curse God. He he worships God though his kids have been killed and even though his his all his material possessions has been stripped away from him. So Satan reappears before God and God says how's it going with Job and he says well you know the only reason why he's not Cursing you and denouncing you is because you still have his health. You take his health away and he'll curse you, God. And uh, he says, well, I'll let you touch his health, but I'm not going to let you take his life. And uh, Satan says, good enough. And, And then we find Job with boils all over his body. And he's finding broken pieces of pottery and scraping those boils on his body, which sounds painful. But the Bible says he was doing that for relief. He was finding some comfort in cutting the boils, this disease that was on his body. And he still did not cursed god he maintained his integrity his wife sure enough she should be pretty worked up because she, she just lost all the kids that she gave birth to and lost everything she's worked for and now she's watching her husband's health fail but she she has her breaking point she says why don't you curse god and die and job maintains his integrity and does not do that he says the lord gives the lord takes Blessed be the name of the Lord. But in all of this, Job still was at that brink of breaking, and he would just share his emotions. And reading through the book of Job, it's quite depressing a lot through it. And then you find his closest friends come, and when they see Job, they don't even recognize him, and they don't talk to him for days. They just stare At this mess and they try to figure out, is that really Job? He looks terrible. We heard that he was a mess, but this is bad. And finally, Job just begins to pour out his weariness and his 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 hopelessness. And he makes all these statements that he said, you know, basically, I'm in pain all day. And my only hope is that when I go to bed, I can fall asleep and be relieved of this pain. But I can't even get a good night's rest. And as he's going through all this, he says this statement in verse 6. He says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and I am spent without hope. I am in a state of hopelessness. If there is ever a place that we do not desire to be, it is in a state of hopelessness. It's a miserable state of being. It's one That we would almost rather just not be. And that's what Job goes into writing. He begins to say, I wish I was never born. It's better to not be born than to be going through what I'm going through. It would be better if I just died now instead of this slow, excruciating death. It is the word of hopelessness that I speak of where he says, I'm spent without hope. that I believe captures this region I believe the word hopelessness captures the feeling of the North, the feeling of the Great Plains. It is a very depressing feel. It is the spirit of the Prince of the Power, the heir of South Dakota. I am absolutely convinced of it. I've never been more depressed in my life than when I went from moving from what was known, I know, as the Midwest to this place called the Midwest. I didn't know that South Dakota and Chicago are both the Midwest, but they supposedly are. But it's two different worlds. And when I came out here, it did not take very long to feel the spirit of this area. I used to joke with my wife because she's from North Dakota. And the license plates on there used to say, discover the spirit. And I said, I know what that is. It's depression. <laughs> it's just such a cold, stoic, rigid place. That can break a person. Now, if you, you live here, you're probably completely oblivious to it if you've been born and raised. But if you don't recognize it because you've not been outside and back in, it is really the spirit of the area. It's one that says there's never going to be a breakthrough. There's never going to be a revival. People really don't want this. What's the point? What's the use? I might as well just quit. Anyway, I alluded to that last week in the sermon when I preached, have you considered about the the getting to that place of why even bother where the people just tore down their houses and invested in a false hope and a false cause. And then they just stated, we might as well just eat, drink, because tomorrow we die. It is the spirit of a carelessness because there's nothing to care really about. There's nothing to hope for. There's nothing to believe in. When we read in Exodus chapter 33 verses 1 through 7, we see a similar state of hopelessness. The children of Israel who had no hope, but God comes along and pulls them out of Egypt miraculously. They have fallen into sin. They have rebelled against God and God is absolutely mad. In verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, get up and go the people that you brought out of the land of Egypt and this land that I, I promised that I was going to give to them, I'm not going to give to them. I'm going to give to you, Moses. It's going to be a new people I'm going to work with. And the next verse is, I'm going to send an angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, every enemy that is there. I'm going to drive them out to a land that flows with milk and honey. For I'm not going to go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee. God says, look, I know I promised all this stuff, but I don't even want to go with you anymore. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're presented with a road trip, a travel, a journey, but you don't really like the company. Company is a big part of the journey. Because you're going to be in that vehicle with them for 18 hours driving there, or you're going to be in that airplane, or you're going to be in that same cabin for five, six, seven days. Company is is very important because it can make or break your experience, whether it be at the beach or whether it be in the mountains or whether it be wherever. And God says, I don't even want to be in your company. You guys are such jerks. You don't love me. You don't care about me. Anything I say to do, you don't do. When I tell you to be quiet, you talk. And when I tell you to talk, you're quiet. And when I tell everything that God tells them to do, they do the complete opposite. God says, I do not want to go with you. In fact, you make me jealous because you worship other gods that are not God. And I am God, and I'm the one that brought you out. The only reason why you have freedom of speech right now is because I gave it to you. And you're not even wanting to listen to my laws anymore. And so verse 6, uh, God says, I'm not going to go with them. the children of Israel, the, the their re- response, the reply to what God said. I mean, verse 5, he says, tell them I'm, they're stiff-necked. I, I'm about to wipe them out in a moment and consume them. And God says this in verse 5, therefore now put off your ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. He says, You you stand before me with such pride, you're so decorated, you're so you're so dolled up and you got all these jewels and you got all these ornaments on you, you got all this this jewelry and these earrings. And he goes that I don't want to see you trying to look good for me. I don't want you to try to see show how great your flesh is and how much you own and how much you have and be so full of yourself. He says, just strip that all down and maybe I'll talk to you. And in verse six, the children of Israel break themselves into humility and they take off just like you would undo a Christmas tree. Every ornament, every decoration, every jewel, every piece that you would put externally on your body. They took it off of them and they humbled themselves. And in verse seven, Moses takes the tabernacle and he places it outside. It says without the camp, far off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass, as Moses sets it up this way, he says, I'm going to take the presence of God far from you. This temple of God where they would have to go through the process to get to God. Where they'd first go to the altar sacrifice. And After they sacrificed that animal, then they would go to the brazen laver where they would wash the blood sacrifice off of them and clean themselves and purify themselves to be ceremonial clean. And then they would go into the holy place. They would go through this, this, this door, this curtain in, the, in this, this whole tabernacle, this setup. And then in that room and there would be a table of showbread. There would be an altar of incense. There would be uh, these these items, these candlesticks that were lit. And then ultimately, there was a curtain that they can go beyond. And beyond that curtain, the veil, the Bible calls it, beyond that curtain called the veil, was the actual presence of God, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, which was in the Ark of the Covenant, the Mercy Seat of God. And Moses uproots and relocates this. This setup far away from the camp, without the camp. And then it says, Everyone which sought the Lord went out unto that tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. In this scenario, hope seemed far. They just got in major trouble with God. He's ready to wipe them out and move on. But thank God for a man of God who stood in the gap. And prayed for a people that had no hope. It is the power of an intercessor. It's the power of someone who takes lead and takes initiative. And doesn't stand by with a passive behavior to see how things are going to play out. They, They get right involved between God and people. And they begin to intercede for their soul. All seemed lost. But outside in the distance was hope. It was the tabernacle of the congregation. It was the temple of God. It was a tent outside the campgrounds of where the people were. The people were camping in sin, in rebellion, in pride. They were uh, doing everything their way instead of God's way. But if people went the distance, they could find hope. For without the camp was the presence of God. We just read here in verse 7 of Exodus 33 without the camp, outside the grounds of where the people were in their sin was a tabernacle of God, the tent of God. It was far off from the camp but everyone that sought the Lord went to it. Everyone that wanted to make things right went to that place, that location. Though it was outside the camp, though it was outside of the way they were living, they said Look, where I'm living right now, there is no hope. And the way things are right now, I won't go into a land of promise with God. I will live my life without Him. And so in the distance was that hope. And if the people went the distance, they could find that hope. They could find the presence of God without the camp. And inside that tent of God was that veil I spoke of. Inside that tent was that veil, the curtain. It was a divider between the people and the very Thick presence and glory of God divided by a veil, divided by a curtain that separated the presence of God from the people of God. The people were without the veil, but God was within the veil. God was beyond the veil. In Psalm 43, verse 3, oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. God's light and truth is not for us to just be impressed by it, but for us to be led by it. And that's what light and truth does do when you come in contact with the word of God it's to lead you somewhere and he says God your light your truth let them lead me where will the word of God where will this word which the Bible says is a light or a lamp unto our feet where will this truth that Jesus said sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth in John seventeen seventeen, where does light lead and where does truth lead it says it will bring me to your holy hill, to thy tabernacles. See, the Word of God, when you're in the Word of God, it will lead you to the house of God. It will lead you to where God is in the midst, and it will lead you to where God is is working and not just taking you to the premises of that building. Verse 4, he says your light and your truth that took me to that holy hill, that city set on a hill. It is so I will go to the altar of God. The only reason why anybody is in this building, whether there is an awareness in your spirit or not, it is because light and truth leads you here to the premises and property of God. But it's not just to come to this this brick and mortar and be like, wow, what a nice building. It is to take us to the altar of God. And when it takes us to the altar of God, it says that there can be found there an exceeding joy. I know the altar seems counterproductive to joy because the altar in the Old Testament was a place of death. It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of crying out. It was a place where we were hopeless. But when you come to the altar of God, God is about to give you an exceeding joy. And the result is you will praise him. There's a praise that happens that comes about us in the altar of God. In verse five, it says, why are you cast down? O my soul. Why are you disquieted within me? Hope is in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Outside the tabernacle, outside the church, there's no hope. But when I go to the altar, there is hope. And when I go to the altar, it's there that I Praise him. See, praise is very important. It's very important to realize that when we begin to praise God and what we mean or what the scripture means by praise, it is the adoration, the accolade. It is the honoring of God. It is complimenting Him. Just like you would say something nice to your spouse, God willing, and just like you would say something nice to somebody uh, across the street, hopefully. But it's more than that. It is worshiping God. It is honoring Him. It is complimenting Him in a way where you say, God, I don't think you're just good. I think you're the best. God, I don't think that you're just clean. I think you're perfect. God, there's no mistake. There's no error in you. And the power of when we praise God, you can write this down in Psalm 22, verse three it says, God inhabits the praises of his people. When you begin to give God compliments and worship, God wants to be there. God wants to make that his dwelling place. It's just like I've said it before that you can have two geographical locations and you know both parties and both of those houses where your friends are at are inviting you to go there. But you know if you go to this house that they're going to pick on you, they're going to make fun of you, they're not going to feed you, you're going to have to pay for your own meal or they're just going to give you some real nasty food and they're not even going to really talk to you, they're going to ignore you, they're going to not really pay you no attention. But over at this friend's house, you know that not only when you're going to be there. They're, they're going to they're give you a ride there. They're going to pick you up and carry there. They're going to give you first-class treatment. They're going to give you the finest silverware to eat out of. They're going to they're gonna compliment you. They're going to they're give you some money. They're going to give you a big hug and a big embrace. Which house would you want to go to? And that's, that's what it is like with God. What place of worship do you think what God wants to go to? You think God wants to go to a place where people say, you know what? I I, I, I love God, but you know, he understands me. I'm not going to change for him. I'm not going to do anything different in my life. I'm unwilling to do anything to alter my w- way of living. I'm just going there to pay dues. And in fact, I, I'm a little mad that he didn't do this for me. I'm a little upset he didn't do that for me. And the whole entire service, I'm not even going to talk to him. I'm not going to express any emotion towards him. I'm just going to sit there and I'm just going to listen. Or the place that says, God, you've been so good to me. God, you've been better to me than anyone I've ever met. God, I want I want to open my mouth and say thank you. God, I want people to know how wonderful you are. And God, I want to invest in your kingdom. And God, I'm, I'm willing to change my behavior because I want to be closer to you. I, I, which house do you think God wants to live at? And so when we begin to praise God, when we begin to worship him, it attracts the presence of God. And isn't that what we're after? The presence of God. Hopefully that's why you want to be in this place today is you want to taste and see that the Lord is good. But there's ways to attract God. There's ways to, to get him to start approaching towards you. And it's when you start approaching him with reverence and respect and worship and praise. And the Bible gives us permissible grounds where it says in Psalm 47 verse one, 1, O clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 150 says we can worship God upon the string instruments, and we can worship upon the drums and the high-sounding cymbals. The Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord in Psalm 150, verse 6. We are given permission to give expression to a God that is ready to pardon and forgive us of all sins. So here at this altar. This altar is what represents. God, his presence, where we get things altered and turned and changed. And when we come there and we begin to express our praises and our worship to Him and cry out to Him, God wants to be right there. The reason why you want His Spirit to be right there. It says in the book of Second Corinthians 3, 7 that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship in sp- or, or that uh, wherever the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And so wherever you find a praise in worship and worship in spirit and truth, God is there. And when God is there, his spirit, there is a liberty and God can liberate you from your addiction. God can liberate you from whatever you're facing. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, in his presence is fullness of joy. If you're bad Battling depression, you're battling this anxiety. The Bible says, when you're in his presence, and his presence is found in worship, it says there is a fullness of joy, and at his right hand there's pleasure forevermore. It's in praise and worship. Now he says, Here at this altar is where I'm gonna praise him. And when we praise God at this altar, it says, There is a health to my countenance. You come with sickness in your body. You come with, 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 with a countenance of defeat and a countenance of hopelessness. But when you come to this altar that the light and truth led you to and you begin to worship him, the Bible says your countenance can have health. God can heal your body. You're here and you got sickness in your organs. You got sickness in your mind. You got sickness in your eyes. You got sickness in your hands. I'm telling you right now your healing is found in the altar where you give the sacrifice of praise and worship. When we begin to give praise and worship to God, God spirit arise in that geographical location. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is joy. And Hebrews six eighteen says, these two immutable things. It is impossible for God to lie. What, what I'm declaring to you, what I'm reading is from the word of God. And either God is true or God is a liar. But the Bible says God with him, it's impossible for him to lie. And so therefore, knowing that it's impossible for him to lie, it should give you a strong consolation, an absolute confidence and encouragement that I'm going to try what the Bible says and God can't lie. I'm going to do what the word declared and God can't lie. So when you know that this is more than just a book, this is not like reading some sort of magazine. This is the Word of God. And when the Word of God says, when a praise flows from our mouth in the altar, that at that place there is a forgiveness of sins, and at that place there's a healing of the body, there's a health that can come upon your countenance. I know we feel like we're hopeless, but I promise you, even though you feel like you're without hope, hope is within reach. It's within you reaching up your hands, it's within you lifting up your voice, it's within you praising and approaching God. When we find out that God's word is true and He does not lie, and we begin to realize in His house is hope. See, the strong consolation, what's my strong consolation in verse 18? I can go, I can flee to this place for refuge. When you come to this building, this is a house of refuge. This is a strong, I have absolute encouragement. There's a strong consolation on me that no matter how I feel outside of that temple, outside of that building, I have a strong consolation that God doesn't lie. And so when I approach his holy hill, when I walk into his courtyards and when I approach his altar and I come in, give him a praise. There's going to be a health that's added to my countenance and there's going to be a sin that is forgiven. It says we flee here. We come the reason why we're in this building is to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. What I, this table that God spreads for you today is hope without hope, but it's within reach. We feel like as if we have no hope, but in this place, it is here. In verse 19, he goes on to say, which hope? This hope that is set before us, we have as an anchor of the soul. It's sure, it's absolute, and it's steadfast. This thing going to change, which enters into that. Within the veil, remember that veil was that curtain that separated man, the holy place from the most holy place, the holiest of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the the very presence of God was the mercy seat, that 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 artifact When past that veil, past that curtain. He says this hope is the anchor of your soul and you can enter within the veil. Out outside the veil, we feel like we're without hope. But if you can just get within the veil, if you can reach past the veil, you can find what you're looking for. And in verse 20 says the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus. See, Jesus paved the way so you can go into that veil. Jesus paved the That's what we're talking about when we talk about Easter. The death, the burial, the resurrection. Jesus Christ represented the priest, the order of the priesthood of the Old Testament. And he says, I went through the veil. And in fact, when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, the Bible said, the veil that was in that temple was ripped from top to bottom like a piece of paper. God said, I made a way for you to get into the very presence of God. Come on, let's clap our hands to Jesus. He's worthy. It may seem like it's loud and wild in church on Sundays, but see verse 19 of Hebrews 10, we have this understanding that there's a boldness that can come upon us to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. See people, I, I'm not saying this to be irreverent or disrespectful to those that do not know any different, or it's just the upbringing the way it was. But when people, all they could do is sit in solitude in the house of God, it's because they don't have a Boldness to approach God. It's just just this one person up here that's permitted to do everything. But that's not the way that Jesus set it up. Jesus says, I'm going to rip this thing, this curtain, this veil in two, so people can have a boldness to have their own walk with God. They can have their own relationship with Jesus. They can open up their own Bible and read the Word. (laughs) By the blood of Jesus, in verse 20, this is a new And this is a living way which he hath consecrated for us. Check this out. Someone say, through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. This veil was the external of the glory of God, the very presence of God. And if you can just get past the veil in the Old Testament, you can get to the very presence. You can get to God. Jesus said, The veil, that is to say, my flesh. And so when Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross and they put that nail into his hand, there's a little tearing going on in the veil. When they put that nail into his feet, there was a little opening in that veil. When they put that crown of thorns, all of a sudden some of that glory started shining through. Those those opening of the pores of that veil. And when they put that spear into his side, there was just a little more glory coming out. And Jesus says, it's about done. It's about the glory is about to pour out. When you get past the veil, that's the flesh of Jesus. When you get past and beyond that Jesus was a man. When you get past the curtain, when you get past the veil, you'll find out Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus Christ opened up so we had a way of access by His blood. He did that so you can be bold in your approach to Him. It's not because we're worthy. It's not because we're deserving. It's because He opened up the veil so we can enter into His glory. Hmm. In John twenty twenty seven. Thomas finally figured it out. He reached, reached hither his finger, Jesus said. Jesus, reach with your finger. Go ahead and plunge that finger in. Look at my hands and put, put your finger through the hole in my hand. Go ahead. Did you know that spear was at? Go ahead and put your hand right through my side. Go ahead and thrust into my side. And when Thomas went past the veil, he cried out in verse 28, my Lord. My God, when he, when he went past the veil, he didn't see Jesus as just Messiah. He didn't see Jesus just as a prophet or a teacher. When he put his hand into Jesus' fingers, into G, or hands in, into his side, all of a sudden he fell down and he says, You're my Lord and you are my God. Thomas was without hope, but once he reached past the veil, he found inside of there hope. Within there he found hope, and within there he found God. We can't pretend that everything's fine on the outside, especially if you're outside the veil. We're without hope, but within that veil is everything we need. In Luke 16, 15, I'm going to hurry up. It says, ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. It's easy to try to justify ourselves around people with people, but we, we can't fake it. God knows our heart. And that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. And The law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. And every man presseth into it. We've got to press into this kingdom of God. And here's this kingdom of God that is preached. But those who find it, press into it. Those that have no hope but want hope, press into this kingdom of God. In the next chapter, 17, verse 20 and 21 Jesus was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. And he says, look, the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. Don't say low here or low there, but behold, the kingdom of God is within you. You feel without hope. But it's within reach. What you're after is completely accessible right now. If you press in. And if you reach out, he'll reach out. He'll reach into your situation. See, the word, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry up. I, I wish I would have looked at when I started preaching because it's about 3 o'clock. And I think that's when I usually stop preaching. So I, don't, I think we, I'll just say we had a late start. <laughs> we okay? You all right. The word of God is absolutely powerful. We know Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is Quick. And powerful. It's alive. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the divine center of soul and spirit, and of the joints of the marrow and the discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is powerful, but unless it's spoken, it's powerless. This book, left to itself, does nothing for no one. But when someone Opens it and reads it and gives voice to it. The spoken word. See, Jesus and the devil in Matthew chapter 4, they didn't batter battle out thought of Scripture. Spoke word. When the devil began to come at Jesus, Jesus began to quote the word and spoke it to him. And when the word was spoken, the enemy was defeated. Within us is the capacity to release the king's decree and will. See within us, within us is the kingdom of God. Just like within most homes is this book. But this book left unattended, and this book left not interacted with. People are without hope in a home with a book that can give them hope. But until you open the book, until you read the book, until you declare the book, until you internalize the book, you will live without hope, even though hope is within reach. God has this a lot closer to you than you could ever realize, and he's challenging someone here today, just reach out and open this book, reach out and quote this book, reach out and declare this book, reach out and practice this book. Mm. Mm. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Now you could say, well, the Pharisees, I thought they were wicked people. What Jesus is saying, it's a lot closer than you think, Pharisees. It's close. God wired us and designed us with kingdom potential. That's what the kingdom of God within you is. Because he's talking to Pharisees that are at sepulchers. But he says, look, you guys, it's you're, you're without hope, but you're within reach. If you could ever get revelation and understanding, you are wired to be a praiser. You're wired to be a worshiper. You're wired to serve God. We are made in the image of God. I know you're without hope, but it's within reach reach. Pharisee, the kingdom of God is within you. It be th- this is not a perfect illustration or an example, but this would be just a, my silly way of trying to explain something to you. I, I I can look at this air freshener all day, and look at it and just be amazed that you know this. There, you have so much potential. You you can you you, you, you there's so much inside you. The kingdom of God's within you. There's so much pressure. There's so much going on right now. You guys just see this hard air freshener or whatever you call it, spray can. But Left to itself, without it pressing into the kingdom, without any application, without anything, it all it remains is a label with potential. But see, if it ever... Is ever opened, if it is ever released, if it's ever pressed, we press into this kingdom. Then it comes forth. The kingdom of God is not with observation. I can't just stare at this and t- look at the content and look at the potential and think that anything's gonna ever come of that. Y- you'll just be staring at it the rest of the day. But until it's pressed, until it goes forth, then it brings forth that aroma. Then it br- hopefully no one's allergic, eh? Ho- ho- then you begin to realize the potential of what is inside of it. Inside of every single person in this room, the kingdom of God is wired in you. God has designed you with a God side void that if you would just begin to go after God and open the word of God and come to the house of God and apply the things of God, I'm telling you there is a sweet incense about you that God wants to release from within. God wants to To be a sweet smelling savor of praise and worship. The kingdom of God is within you. Let's lift our hands and our voices together. I'm going to hurry to a close here. Could you lift your voices? Come on, just a little bit here. Just like the seed in the hand of a farmer, it's powerful. It has potential, but nothing will come out of it until it's released and is pressed into the earth. Just like this air freshener. It could take care of a lot of problems that we don't like. But until, we can't just stare at the air freshener all day and hope that it's going to smell better in the room. There's got to be the release. And we can't just stare and say, you know, I, I'd like God to do something. You just stare. And just stare. The kingdom of God is not with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. And until what is within you is released, there's not the aroma of the kingdom. There's not the, the what God is wanting to manifest and what God is wanting to do. In Hebrews 11, 6, I'm going to hurry up here. It's 3 o'clock, all right? But without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God. See, it's not just faith. It's coming to God. You got to approach him. And look at this. It's not just about believing that he is. You've got to realize he rewards. Who does he reward? Them that diligently seek him. You, nowhere are you going to find Jesus chasing down people in the Bible, twisting their arm to let, let him pray for him. You don't see that. You say, well, what about the prodigal son story? And, uh, the, the prodigal had to come to his own senses, had to get up, had to go to the father's house. And then when, he saw, when the father saw the son approach him and humble himself, the father ran to him. But other than that, you don't don't find Jesus chasing down nobody and twisting their arms and saying, come on, pray. Let me pray for you. Come on, let me pray for you. Come on, lift up your hands. Come on, come on, come on. Let me pray for you. Lift up your hands. I want to do something for you. No. Everyone that had the miracle and the miraculous, they chased him down. They chased Jesus down. They, 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 Zacchaeus said he ran ahead of Jesus and climbed up a tree. He saw the direction of Jesus, and he says, I want to go where Jesus is going. And he, got, he, he started running ahead and climbed that tree, and Jesus says, come on down. I'm going to your house. Blind Bartimaeus The man, Jesus, was passing right by. But once Bartimaeus started crying out, he asked people, what's the commotion? What's going on? They said, Jesus is walking by. And so Bartimaeus started crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And so God is wanting us to come to him. God is wanting us to lift our voices to him. God is wanting us to come to the altar. God is wanting us to lift our hands. God is wanting us to lift our voice if you want the Holy Ghost today's your day but listen God's kingdom is not with observation we don't get the Holy Ghost by just observing service we get the Holy Ghost by coming in service and serving God and praise and worship in this altar and when we begin to do that God's about to pour out a blessing God's about to heal you God's about to fill you God's about to pour out his mighty works in this place let's stand together Jesus. Jesus. I'm just going to fast forward to Acts chapter 17. I've preached too long and I apologize. But in verse 27 and 28. It says that they should seek the Lord. It's really what we should be doing. If happily. We might feel after him. Just. Feeling after God, trying to get a hold of God. And if we would feel after Him, the Apostle Paul said, You will find Him because He's not far. Whatever your circumstances right now, that you feel you're completely without any hope, you're without hope, but it's within reach. Your hope is found in your reach. But all too often, we'll listen to someone preach that's reaching for us, but we never reach for him. And then we wonder why we go another Sunday without hope. I'm not, I'm not presenting to you today hype. Hype is, is a, a, a building up emotion just to be let down. But what I'm preaching to you is hope and it's the word of God and it's impossible. It's just not possible for God to lie. Therefore, God's ways work. We just have to work the ways of God. We just need to do what he said. And if I I don't know where you're at in your current standing right now. But if you got hell going on. And you got some mess going on in your family. I would come to my senses and realize hopes within reach. And the light and truth brought you to the tabernacle of God to come to the altar of God, to praise that God. And when you begin to praise him, he's going to put health in your countenance. He's going to heal you. I absolutely believe that God wants to heal somebody today. I'm not just talking about some something emotional in your mind, you know, which is absolute a miracle God. I I believe God physically wants to heal somebody of a sickness. But if if you got some 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 mental roadblock going on whether it is absolute hatred, unforgiveness, whether it is depression, whether it is jealousy, if that is going on between your ears right now, I'm telling you, your answer, you feel like you're without hope, but it's within reach. It's a matter of of approaching God. Uh, If they could put Mark chapter 5 up there, I'm going to read this story, then I'll I'll stop. Mark chapter 5, verse 26. Jesus, as he's walking, there's a lot of people attacking him. Everyone's touching Jesus, everyone's around Jesus, but there's a woman With the issue of blood in verse twenty-six, and she suffered many things of many physicians. This that sounds painful. She went through a lot to find the cure, and then it says she spent everything she had to find the cure. And look at the result of her giving all her money to practice. She was nothing bettered, but instead she grew worse. You want to help being without hope. Any hope that you had of money solving your issue. Any hope of any doctor with any degree that was the best doctor couldn't do it. And now you're out of doctor and you're out money. And her condition gets worse. But she heard of Jesus in verse 27. And she came in the press behind him. People all around Jesus. But she pressed past him just to touch his garment. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. She, she, by faith, this woman got down. She had no hope. But it was within reach. She got a hold of the very edge of the garment of Jesus. And when she did that in verse 29, it says immediately her sickness was healed. And in verse 30, Jesus stopped immediately. And he knew in verse 30 that virtue flowed out of him. And he turned to all the people around him. And he asked this question, who touch my clothes? And the disciples said to him, you see the multitude, Jesus. What kind of question is that? There you're surrounded by a multitude touching you. But Jesus says, somebody. Reach out to me in a different way. They just weren't wanting to. Touch me to be, you know, connected and to name drop that, you know, hey, I believe in Jesus. No, she pressed. and She was hopeless. And the only hope she had was within her reach, reaches. She got a hold of Jesus and she was healed. I don't know how desperate you are right now and what's going on in your world. But the level. Of your reach and desperation to Jesus. Your healings there. I absolutely believe that God's going to heal people today. That are there's a number of folks here today that you've been struggling and battling with nicotine. I believe absolutely God can heal you of your nicotine addiction. I i am not talking about one person. I'm talking there's a there's a multitude of people here that have told me personally that you would like to break that today. Today, I am persuaded. Today is your last day, and God's going to break that for you. It's within reach. You've tried everything possible, but today is your day. I believe that. And there's other sicknesses and addictions and struggles going on in this room right now. It's within reach today. Is there anybody here... That wants to press their way into this altar. That you've been led here by the light and the truth. And you want to come to this altar. And you want to reach out. When you reach out. I want you in your mind's eye. Picture yourself like that individual. That pressed through the throngs of people. To get a hold of the garment of Jesus. And knowing that when the moment you reach out. And you stretch with all your hand. With all your might. You are going to get a hold of the edge of Jesus Christ. And he is going to complete. Completely heal your body. He is going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Does anyone believe that here today? What did, what did Hebrews six eighteen said? It is impossible for God to lie. Romans three 4 says, "Let God be true and every man a liar." I'm not. I'm not worried. I, I I have no fear in me right now. I'm absolutely persuaded God's going to do it. I'm persuaded. And if you're here today, you like prayer. I want you to come forward right now. Don't just come just to come, but if you need healing in your body, you need a miracle in your life today, I believe God's going to do it. I want you to put your feet to the edge of this altar. Don't be, on, don't be on the parameter today. I want you to press your way in. I want your feet touching the altar if you need prayer today.